We've been speaking over the past few weeks on the large, vast number of choices that make up our life and how the choices that we make really make up our character. The, the insignificant choices, the small choices in life. What exactly what Bob was talking about, really, about his choices to give up some of the things in his life that he needed to give up. They were his choices. He, he made those choices. He made the choice to smoke. He made the choice not to smoke. He made the choice to drink. He made the choice not to drink. He made the choice to honor God. It's very basic, quite honestly. The choices that we make, we, we sometimes overcomplicate them. We want to make them too big. We want to make them too encompassing. But I think what Bob said was, the key to what he said was the choices that he made, he made with God's help. He didn't make them on his own. He couldn't give up some of those habits on his own. He needed the power of God to break those habits. But yet he had to make the choice to allow that to happen. And that's where we're at in our life today. We have a lot of small choices that make up our character a lot of small choices that make up who we are, that make up the big choices in life. And um, that's where I want to spend a little bit more time today. I'm not going to go back and rehash a lot of the things that we, we talked about, um, but clearly there are um, a good history here. If you go back the last couple of weeks and, and go back and listen to the last week's sermons, you'll pick up a lot more of why I'm taking off today on, on basically in the middle of last week's sermon, actually. Um, but we talked about the steps of living according to a standard that would bring us to the point in the end that we are targeting, that we want to end up as. So really, I guess the question is here is, where do we go from here? Where do we go from deciding to be a godly person? Where do we go from here? And I think that maybe we can learn a good lesson if we obviously go to God's Word. There's always the place to start is God's Word. And maybe we should look at life maybe the way God looks at life. Do you think God looks at life frontwards or backwards? Do you think God, when He began, do you think He knew the end? Or do you think He's waiting for the end to happen so that he knows what's going to happen. Do you think God made a plan, established things in the order that he did with the end in mind? Well, let me, let me give you what the Word says about that. Isaiah chapter 46, starting at verse 8. It says, Remember this. Keep it in mind. Take it to heart you rebels. <laughs> well, that's us. He's talking to us because we're the rebels. He says, remember this, keep it in mind, and take it to heart. So what he's going to say must be pretty important here because we're to keep it in mind, we're to remember it, and we're to take it to heart. And he says, remember the former things, those of long ago. And then he declares who he is. He says in verse 9, I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. So he's established Who's talking here? He's established who he is. And then he goes on in verse 10 and he says, I make known the end 
from the beginning. From ancient times, what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. But the key words here is I make known the end from the beginning. So what God is saying to us here in this scripture is that there is no chance that God doesn't understand the end from the beginning. He established it. He will make it come to pass as he's determined because that's where he starts. He starts at the end and works backwards. It would do us great service in our lives if we would think a little bit like that as well. If we would determine in our life that maybe we should look for the end point first and then figure out how to get there rather than start here and have no idea where I'm going and then wonder where am I at when I get there. <laughs> how do you know where you're going if you don't have the end in mind? How do you know if you've arrived at the right spot if you don't have the end in mind? Maybe you want to go to a store in Traverse City, but yet you're heading down towards Boyne City. You'll never get to the store in Traverse City if you don't start first with the, mind, with the end in mind to say, I've got to go to Traverse City to get to the store. If you just start thinking, I'm going to get in the car and just start driving, and I'm eventually going to get there, chances are you're never going to get there. So within our life as well, why shouldn't we? look at the end in mind and, and imagine how our life would be different if we did that. And there may be here some this morning that are already doing that, that are already focused on the end, already focused on their eternal life, and they're saying, you know, that's my goal, and now I'm setting my life accordingly. I'm going to make the small choices, the small decisions accordingly to get to the end goal, and I'm going to forego some of those immediate satisfactions that I would have to sacrifice in order to get to the end goal that I want. Maybe there are some here this morning that are already doing that. I kind of think there are. But there's maybe some others that are still kind of struggling with this. And I want to give us an example this morning about how important it is that we come up with an end decision point and stick with it. And stick with it no matter what would come our way. There's a really good example that we're going to study with this morning, an Old Testament character that had a promise because of his birthright, because of his birth order. He had a promise called the birthright. And a Jewish culture, I'm not going to take the time to get into it, but the birthright of a Jewish man is significant, very significant in, in the blessing that comes from the Father. And his life thereafter. It's a very important privilege. It's a very important honor to have the birthright. But we saw in Esau a man here that didn't see it quite the way that God had intended him to see it. See, man, natural man doesn't think that way. We don't think in our default strategies, in our default heart, the way God thinks. Just so you know that right now just so you can understand where your position is coming from, your mind in the flesh is not working the way God's mind is working in the spirit. And it's that way not because it's your fault, it's just that way because of the fall. 
So understand that. And so it's not our natural bent to have the heart of God until we make the choice to give it over to God, and then God will then direct the heart of a man appropriately. But we, saw a good, we see a good example here with Esau of a, of a man that had a promise, but he was too impatient to wait on it. Let's read about this. Genesis chapter 25, starting at verse 29. It says, Once when Jacob, Esau's brother, was cooking some stew. Now let me just set it stage. Esau and Jacob were twins. Esau was minutes older than Jacob. Esau was born first. Jacob was born second. So the birthright goes to Esau because he's the eldest son. All right? So understand that. He was, Jacob was holding on to the heel of Esau, if you will, in his, in his, in, as he was born. That's biblically what he said. So anyway, and Jacob was more of the homeboy. Jacob was more of the, of the mama's boy. And Esau was the hunter. Esau was the man's man. Just set the stage. All right, so once when Jacob was, was home cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. Esau had been out hunting. He said to Jacob, Quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. And Jacob replied, First, sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? Basically saying, What, what good is it to me if I'm dead? I'm dying, man. If you don't feed me right now, I'm dead. The birthright means nothing to me anyways. But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. Now let's look a little bit closer at the progression of some of the things that happened here. When Esau was so focused on his immediate satisfactions, his immediate gratification over guarding his long-term promise. First of all, it says, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. Quick, I've got to have it right now. There was no second thoughts here. Jacob came in, I'm sorry, Esau came in from the hunt, tired and cold, and hungry, and he comes in and he smells the stew that's brewing, and you all know what it's, how good it, it, it's, it smells when you're really hungry. And so Esau comes in from the field and he smells the stew and he says, man, I am famished. I am so hungry. Quick, give me it right now. I have to have it right now. I mean, there was no second thought here. There was no thinking at all about long-term thought. It was just, I got to have it. I got to have it. He was, he was driven by his indulgences. By the spirit of indulgence, the spirit of I have to have immediate satisfaction without any time to reconsider what he was really saying or what he was really giving up, he said, quick, give me the stew, I'm dying. And then the second thing I find here is that he says, look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What he was doing is he was exaggerating his feelings. He was exaggerating. Now, if a, have you ever been, is it possible to be so hungry that if you don't eat within the next few minutes, you're going to die? I don't think so. I mean, I, I see a lot of starving children all over the world, and, and it takes a long time to starve to death. It takes days to starve to death. You don't starve to death because you miss a meal. 
You may feel like it, but you're not going to starve to death because you, because you had breakfast at 8 o'clock and you've been hunting till 2 o'clock and you come in at 3 o'clock and you missed lunch. You're not going to die. But yet in his spirit or in his flesh, Esau was exaggerating himself. He was exaggerating his feelings. In the mind of a short-term thinker, an exaggerated feeling is death. <laughs> is death to a long-term promise. Because you believe your exaggerations. Number three, he said, what good is the birthright to me? In his desperate act of getting what he wanted at the immediate moment, he was willing to give up something of much more importance. He was willing to give up a long-term promise because of in his exaggerated state of mind, he was dying. Lies, deception comes in subtly into a man's life. And if I, once I start to get deceived, once I start to believe my own lies, exaggerations start, all kinds of compromises come in, all kinds of things that would say, what good is it if I wait? You know, on a Wednesday night, we're having a really good DVD series on evangelism. In fact, I really encourage more people to come to that because it's really good. But one of, the, one of the comments that was made this past Wednesday by one of the people on the DVD was we were talking about um, eternal life, talking about uh, things of the future. And the guy said, one of the, the, one of the people in downtown Toronto said, what good is it for me to think about things that are so far out and foolish? Why should I waste my time thinking about the things that are so far out? Basically, he's a short-term thinker. You know, there's going to come a day, and we all know how quickly time flies, and tomorrow is going to be here before we know it. And if I think that way, if I think with that line of thinking to say it doesn't make any difference why would I waste my time today thinking about what's going to happen in a year or two years or 50 years well if you're a smart man or a smart woman you'll see the significance of that all right number four then after he has quickly d desired to stew exaggerated himself about how he's going to die if it isn't eat right now and then he said, in my desperate act, give me the birthright. I don't care about the long-term future. Finally, he gets it. He, he, he got the stew, and it says he ate and he drank. And then he got up and left. <laughs> no matter how good the stew was, it didn't last very long until he was satisfied. And then he got up and left and forgot about it. Think about all the short-term gratifications, how quick it it's over. <laughs> How short it really lasts. Think about it in, in every way that you can when it comes to the short-term satisfactions about how they come and they go and how quickly it seems to be over. You know, you've wanted that new bike. You've wanted that new computer. You've wanted that new thing. And how quickly, as soon as you get it, it just seems like it's over. Think about your physical gratifications. Man, how quickly it's over. That it's done. So Esau experienced that. And he despised his birthright because he felt getting the immediate satisfaction was more important than his long-term goal, than his long-term promise. Now I say all that because when I see my, when I look at my life, 
I look at those five steps right there and I see, man, that's a progression that I've experienced over and over again in my life. And have you? Have you seen yourself in any of this? How quickly we fall into the same trap of giving up our future for the short-term gratification of life. Do you do it? Have you ever been guilty of it? And then here's the end of the story for Esau that we probably already know. Then he went in a couple chapters later to get the birthright from his father because now his father was dying a few years later and it was time now to go gather gather the, the blessing. And Esau walks into the tent and there's a long story here, but Jacob already had received the birthright. Es- or, uh, Isaac had already given it to uh, Jacob and Esau walks in to get it and Esau heard his father's words and he burst out with a loud and bitter cry and he said to, his, said to his father, bless me, bless me too, father. And he, Isaac said, you're too late. It's gone. I've already given it. I only have one birthright to give and I gave it to, I gave it to Jacob. So you see here that once we have something like this, how the small choices in life can, can result. This was a big decision. This was a big opportunity for, for Esau, and he, he gave it away because of some small choices. He gave away the big one because of some small, seemingly insignificant choices. And I think the thing that brings me here is that I see myself doing that in my life, and yet there's something within me that says, you know, God, I'm doing this, but you're really not going to hold me accountable, are you? I mean, this is right now when I'm in my early 50s, and I'm going to live to be 85, planning on it. So God, in the next 30 years, I'm sure you'll forget about this. I'm sure you're going to forget about this little indiscretion right now, God. I'm sure you're really not going to hold me accountable to it. Because I know how I am, and I forget things, so God, I'm assuming you're going to forget things too. And let me ask you the question, can we really be that short-sighted and narcissistic to believe that the rules are for somebody else? That God will judge somebody according to God's Scripture, but He's not going to hold me accountable to that? Can we really be that way? I think we can. I think we are in many ways. And so the challenge is given for us to understand that. Jesus tells us, or in the book of Luke, he says in verse nine, or chapter 9, verse 24, it says, For whoever wants to save, his, save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very soul? Is that Esau here? Do you see Esau in this at all? You know, talk about living at the moment at the expense of the future. A few weeks, well, quite a while ago, I used an example that I want to bring out again today because sometimes examples that we can see help us with reality. This is a rope. Darn it, I shouldn't have done that. I'm going to get all twisted up now. I need some help. Rip, would you come and help me? Would you hold this end and stretch that out to that direction? All right, now this rope is, is a represents a timeline. Okay, we've already been through this once, but let me just repeat it. This is eternal timelines of my life. All right? And this little green tape at the very beginning represents my life on earth. I'm born. I have a, I have a beginning. But I have no ending. I'm an eternal being. I've created an image of God. So my life, even though I die here at the end of this tape, 
my spirit man continues to live, right, forever down this line. So what happens here in this little green spot right here, every little decision that I'm making here, every little thought I'm making right here, every little thing that I'm doing right here, the Bible says I will be accountable to that forever and ever and ever. When I die and I get past this little green spot, I, my, my eternal life begins. Well, actually, my eternal life begins right now. I'm already in my eternity, and so are you. We're already there. Because what I feel, who I am, my identity is never going to change. I'm going to feel, I'm going to smell, I'm going to hear, I'm going to, have, I'm going to have sensations, I'm going to have all my physical senses are still going to be here. So I'm already an eternal man. But my body is going to die. My spirit moves on. So now, as I look at long-term thinking or short-term thinking, if I make a decision based here to think, wow, well, I, I want to make a decision and I'm only going to get this far in my little timeline here, but it's going to be impacted way down there forever and ever and ever. Does that not put a little bit of a question mark in your mind as to what I should be doing here? I mean, think about it. If you can, the, the longer I go down that stretch, the longer my eternal life goes, relatively, the shorter this becomes. So there's going to come a time when I'm going to be in my eternal heaven or hell for a million years, two million years, three million years. I get that far out, and I'm not even going to be able to see this speck. Right now, this seems like eternity to me. Right now, my short-term life, my short-term thinking, what I'm going to have for lunch today, what I'm going to have for dinner today, what I'm going to do tomorrow, what I'm going to do this week, that's pretty important to me right now. And it should be important to you if you're making the right choices in what you're doing. But if I'm wasting my time, if I'm wasting my days, then when I get out to be a million, two million years down the road, I'm going to be very regretful that I thought short-term was more important than long-term. Do you think Esau might have felt a little bit foolish when he went into his dad's tent to get his birthright when he gave it up over a bowl of stew? Do you think he might have felt a little bit regretful over that? See, setting a long-term goal in mind is very important, and our impatient short-term choices are really a noose around our neck because they will limit you in your future potential. It will pull you back, and it will hold you down, and it will be a noose around your neck if you let short-term choices outweigh your long-term perspective and your willingness to sacrifice short-term for the long-term. Now, keeping a long-term goal in mind does not mean that you're going to know every step of the way. I go back and let me use, let me use a personal example. In um, 2005, when I moved up here, I was not a pastor. I was a businessman. I was um, coming out of 20-plus years selling factory automation in the automotive world. I'm an electrical engineer. I had no intention of ever doing what I'm doing today. I never saw myself in 2005 to be standing in front of you preaching and being a pastor of this church. So I can't say that I had a long-term goal to be a pastor. But here was, here's what my long-term goal was, to please the Lord in my life. 
I determined when I, a long time ago that I was going to listen to the Lord's voice and do what he said along the way, even though I didn't know what it was. Even though I didn't know what the step was going to be, I still said, Lord, I just want to be pleasing to you. I want to live my life according to your will, pleasing to you, bearing fruit in every good work, doing exactly what you've asked me to do, even though I don't know what tomorrow holds. And as a result, I'm here. I don't know where I'm going to be tomorrow. I don't know where, well, I plan on being here. I don't know where I'm going to be in a year. I don't know. I don't know. And it's not important that I know. What's important is that I keep my life focused on a long-term focus and that I don't let a short-term experience compromise my end goal desire. See, if the Lord would have given me enough information in 2008 or 2009 with what was going to happen over the past two, next two years or three years, I probably would have run. I would have, I would have been a Jonah. Let me tell you right now, I would have been a Jonah. There's no way I would have agreed to go through some of the stuff because I, did, I just said, Lord, I'll do what you asked me to do. In fact, I can remember one of the first sermons that I preached here. Um, what I said was, because I had a lot of family, I had, a, I had a dad who was still alive here, I had a brother, I had cousins, I had uncles and nephews and all that other stuff. And I said, you know, guys, I know I'm coming into a family church, but let me just tell you the ground rules. And that is that I'm coming in to be a man that is going to listen to the Holy Spirit and do the best that I can to walk that way. If you think that I'm coming in as your brother or your son or your nephew, or your uncle, I'm not. I'm coming in as a man of God to the best that I can to live according to God's word and to give the word. And I remember that as of yesterday because that was important for me to make the claim and stake myself in the ground to say I'm not here to appease a man. I'm not here to be manipulated by my dad. I'm not here to be pushed by my brothers. I'm here to love people. And I'm here to listen to God. Now, I haven't been perfect. I'll tell you that right now. And I haven't been perfect in that. That was just, that's my life. That's my example. You have your own example. And I know that it's a good example as well. So I want to just go and I want to talk then about what we are going to do. We, we spoke last week about in Matthew chapter 12, verse 36. And this is important. It says, but I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on a day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. And then in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him who, to whom we must give an account. Basically, just we all know God knows all things. Nothing is hidden from him no matter where I do it, where I'm at. God can see through every closed door. He sees all things. And we also talked about eternity. We talked about God's omnipresence and God's omniscience, meaning that we're going to have an eternal time frame to talk to God about my life because that's what he's going to want to talk about. He's going to want to take the eternity that he has, that we will have, his omnipresence, meaning he can be all places at all times, he can be with you just like he's with me, and he's omniscient, meaning he knows everything about all of us. So now we're going to have a little discussion and he's going to want to talk about every empty word that I've spoken. What's an empty word? An empty word is a word that I haven't taken account of. I don't want to put fear in a person where fear isn't due. 
I'm not trying to say things here that are going to make God to be like a, a big mean God with a big hammer ready to hit all of us. Because here's what the Bible says. The Bible says if we ask to be forgiven, he will forgive our sins and he will remember them no more. So now an empty word is, an, is a word that as a Christian, because I must be a Christian to be in God's presence in the first place, because if I wasn't a Christian, I, wouldn't, I would be in hell. I wouldn't be in God's presence. So this is assuming that I'm already a Christian person, but, there I can, but yet I can still speak empty words because I'm going to give an account of them. An empty word would be a word that isn't profitable for the kingdom. An empty word would be a word that, or an action that I didn't account of and say, God, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said it. I dealt with it. And as soon as I say I'm sorry, I repent of that, you know what God does? He forgets it. He forgets it. He doesn't hold up. God has not got a skeleton closet full of skeletons for you and I to pull out for all the things that he's forgiven us for. If you've said you're sorry, if you've repented over your sin, over your actions, he forgets it. Here's the thing that I want to focus on right now is that what I'm excited about is being with that time with God that God's going to tell me his side of the story. Think about this. He's going to have his side of the spiritual story that I don't see today. We are spiritual warfare. I felt so impressed this morning that there was spiritual warfare going on in this building, in this church, for somebody was being ministered to spiritually that we didn't see. We couldn't see what was going on. But someday God's going to go back and he says, I'm going to tell you about November 3rd, and that church service, remember you were sitting there? There was a spiritual battle going on, and I want to tell you what I was doing on your behalf. Let me tell you, Mike, what I was doing for you. Let me share with you what, how you, I ministered to you, how I had angels positioned, and I had all these things in place, and I had all this structure put in place just for you. So, you know, I, I'm looking forward to that day because, you know, when you're living a righteous life to the best that you can, not a life of perfection, when you're living a life forgiven by Jesus and living a life striving to please him, there is no fear of punishment. There is no fear of, 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 of an evil word spoken to me or a harsh God because, yes, I'm not perfect, but I'm forgiven, and I've continued to live my life in a forgiven state day after day after day. So I look forward to the day that I can spend before God because I'm going to expect to hear God say, Mike, well done, thou good and faithful. And with that, come on, let's have a cup of coffee. We've got a lot to talk about. And I want to hear God's version of my life. Bob, you're going to hear how he was with you when the day that you took that last cigarette, the day that you decided to do that, and you say, Bob, remember that time you said that? Remember the time you did that? You made that declaration, Bob? Let me show you how many times thereafter I kept you from that habit. And you're going to say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for that. There's benefit, people, in living a life of small choices. There's benefit in doing that. There's benefit to doing that. And when we do that, we will find our life so full beginning today. Beginning right now. You don't, you don't have to wait until you die to have fulfillment in your life. You don't have to wait because it starts immediately. So how do we get there? How do we get there? We're going to have communion this morning and... and um, this is a perfect way, I believe, to end this with this communion because we're going to read something in 1 Corinthians that helps us to know how I take accountability in my life. Before we get there, I want to set the stage for communion. First of all, communion is for every believer. 
You do not have to be a member of this church. All you need to know is that Jesus is at the center point of your life. So let's just close our eyes right now. If anyone here this morning needs to, have, needs to be forgiven of any lingering sin, all you need to do is say, Jesus, I'm sorry. All eyes closed this morning. If you are struggling in that area, I want to make it real simple. Would you just acknowledge it before the Lord? Would you just raise your hand and say, Jesus, forgive me. I need to be forgiven. I see that hand. It's just real easy, folks. Because what we're going to talk about next, this is very important. Because I must have a right relationship with the Lord. Amen. Father, for the hands that were raised this morning, I thank you. God, I pray that the hearts would be clean. I pray that, God, that we would see a forgiven spirit. And that, Jesus, that you would reign supreme in our hearts and life. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Jackie, would you come? Because this is very important. First of all, what we're doing here is we're, we're remembering the Lord's death. And we're remembering the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. Jesus said some things when he was having communion with his disciples at the Last Supper. He said, For I received from the Lord what also I delivered to you. This is in Corinthians. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And then he went on to say some very important things. Basically, what he was doing there, he was setting the stage of why we do this. This is what I really want to focus on this morning as we partake in communion today because Jesus gives us then the how-to to live a sanctified life thereafter. He said, Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. You see, Jesus wants all men to communion, to have communion with him. But he wants it done in a way that is honoring not only him, but each other. This is such a serious time that that's why we examine our lives. We have to examine our hearts. This is a time when you have, a, if you have an ought with a brother or a sister, that you make it right. This is a time when you have a problem with the Lord, you make it right. You don't eat and drink unworthily. And thank goodness all that means for us today is saying, Jesus, I'm really sorry and meaning it, folks, and meaning it. And then with that comes a repentance, meaning I'm going to turn around and go the other direction, and I'm not going to repeat that same sin. I'm not going to repeat that same wrong action, that same wrong choice. 
Let a person examine himself and then eat of the bread. And here's the thing that's really important. If, but if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But I have to judge myself first. And what that means is I have to hold myself accountable to my choices. I have to take responsibility for the things that I've done wrongly. I can't blame anybody for my, my problems. Isn't that a big problem in our society today? And the key there is that if we judge ourselves truly, isn't it interesting how I put the word truly there? Because we can judge ourselves untruly. We can judge ourselves according to our standards. But if we judge ourselves truly, we're judging ourselves to the Word of God. And then what we're doing is that we're making ourselves right according to the Word of God through the blood of Christ. And with that then comes a worthy partaking of communion. That leads to life. That leads to eternity. That leads to fullness of life beginning right now. So with that again, would you all pray with me one more time? Would you close your eyes? Would you all in your own heart say, Jesus, I'm examining my heart now. I really am examining my heart. Jesus, what in any area of my life that I have failed you, I am so, so sorry. I'm not perfect, God. And you know that. So I'm taking this really serious this morning, Jesus. This is, this is not a monthly task that we do. This is examining my life. This is judging me so that I won't have to be judged later. Father, forgive me of my sins. Forgive me, Father, of my thoughts. Forgive me of my impatience. Forgive me of my short-term approach to life. Forgive me, Father, for the ways that I have given up the promise for the sake of a simple indulgence. Thank you, Jesus, for your faithfulness. And thank you for your, for your forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen. With that said, would you lift up the bread, the cracker? Lord Jesus, thank you for your broken body. Thank you, Jesus, that you died on the cross for us. Thank you, Lord, that through the broken body that you've given us healing, you've given us health, you've given us strength, you've given us promise. Lord, and we remember you now in this. And because we are right with you, we are honoring you properly. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you partake and eat the cracker with me, please? Mm. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my, in my blood. The new covenant in my blood. Father, thank you for the blood of Christ. Jesus, the fact that you sacrificially gave up your life for us completely, it wasn't a partial sacrifice. Lord, you gave your blood, which means you gave your life. You just weren't beaten badly, you died. And you were bled out. When they stuck that spear in your side, 
the blood that was in your body drained to the ground and it and it so then fertilized my heart because I am nothing but flesh. I am nothing but the soil of this ground, of this earth. And God, and your blood then covered me as I apply it to my life. And I'm so thankful for the blood of Christ because your blood gives me life. So Lord, as I drink this cup, I do so honoring you, thanking you again for forgiveness, for restoration, and for fellowship with you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you partake together? Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You know, do you ever have a, an overboding sense of peace that just comes on you every once in a while? Where you just know, you just know that the Lord is pleased. I still have problems. I still have issues. But I just know the Lord is pleased with us this morning. I just know that. I just have a sense of peace in my heart knowing that everyone here that prayed the prayers and diligently listened and applied that the Lord is pleased. That gives me peace. Gives me hope. Gives me thanks. Amen.